Chicago experienced an unparalleled fire that, that the world had never seen before, especially in the state of the, 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 the world that it was in. 17,500 buildings were destroyed, 73 miles of street were destroyed, one in three residents were left homeless. I and mean, that's pretty astounding by any measure. And so it was called the Great Chicago Fire. Um, and for 20 years, um, what was not captivating people's minds was not the fire, but the rebuilding process, actually. And that was what actually came out as the most astounding thing about this whole fire. So for 20 years, Chicago put on a display of architecture and art and industry that was unparalleled. I mean, the whole world was, was kind of captivated by Chicago. And this innovation did indeed capture the world. So in 1893, 20 years later, next picture, the World Fair was put on in Chicago to display all the things that had happened and also to celebrate the 400th birthday of America and the 400th year um, of Columbus hitting the ground, right? And so Chicago actually won out that 400th anniversary World Fair over New York City because of the innovation that had happened in Chicago through this whole rebuilding process. It's, It's a pretty fascinating study. And so, you know, if any group of people are going to gather together in mass, uh, there's always going to be a religious element that happens as well. And so this was the first ever time that the World Parliament of Religions came together. That'll be the third picture I'm going to show you. So never before in history had a group come together to try to form, wait for it, a one-world religion. And so they thought, because the United States is so progressive and because look what they've done over these past 20 years and look how they've built this city and, and they're, they're, they're really pushing the envelope, we need to get people from all over the world to gather together to toss out their best ideas of their faith. And if we can toss out all the best ideas, maybe we can come together with one uniform, uh, united world religion that we can all agree on. So this was the idea of this first ever uh, World Parliament of Religions that happened at that event. Now again, at this event, to, to let you know how astounding innovations were occurring, this was the first time ever mass electricity had been used. Never before had light bulbs been produced so a whole city was illuminated. This was the first time that ever happened. Morse code was on display at this World Fair, okay? These are the type innovations that are uh, being thrown out there, life-changing transformers, blah, blah, blah. And so they thought, this is a great moment. Finally, we can all agree on one thing religion-wise. So this gets to this moment. Well, Dwight L. Moody, who was a a pastor in Chicago, um, said, you know what? This is a great moment to take advantage of this, but not to gather together to engage in debate with all these people. This is not a great moment to, to gather together because we're pushing the envelope of innovation and, and to have this is a great opportunity. And so he gathered all the Christians he could and he stationed them all over uh, the city of Chicago. He, he put some on street corners, he put some in churches, he rented out schools, he rented out tents, he rented out anything that he could find, and their church funded it, and he put Christians all over the place, and this is what he said. All we're gonna do is this, and this will be on the screen. Let's simply preach Christ preeminent, the peerless, supreme, all-sufficient one in scriptures. And in doing so, he'll be so attractive that men will turn just to him. 
and thousands did. Do we see Christ as that supreme? Like if we have the opportunity to engage in a a, a -a once-in-a-lifetime world fair where all these things are going on, would the chief thing that came to mind be, how can I put on display simply the supremacy of Christ over and above all things? And that is exactly where Paul is going to take us in this text today. He's been telling us through Colossians that Christ really is supreme over all things, over anyone, over anything. He's supreme over all things. And today, buddy, he is going to push it, and he's going to ask this question to us. He's going to say, are, are, you, are you enamored that much by Christ? Is it on display that much in your life? Is, like, is he truly the chief joy of chief joys to you? And that's where we're going to get today. So... As we go through this text, I think it's going to aim to do that in our, all of our hearts. And so, if you will, it's going to kind of be a ride. It's like a, it's like a, it's almost like Paul is preaching, and he just keeps getting louder and louder and louder and louder. At some point, it's almost going to be like he pulls out his holy hanky and starts wiping the sweat off of his head. Okay, it's it's just going to do this as he screams how awesome Jesus is. So, the Word of God. For the people of God. Let's look at it together. Paul's going to begin subtle, su- subtle. He's going to say that Christ is supreme over eternity past. We've made it to verse 15 of chapter 1. He says this, He is the image, I've circled the image on the screen, He is the image of the invisible God. Do, do, you, do you sometimes reduce Jesus to junior varsity even unknowingly? I, I do. Uh, right now at County High School... And I speak because to County High because a couple of our, our buds are, are enthralled in football right now, and, and Jeremiah. And right now, there's this competition going on in, in summer training of who is going to make varsity and who's going to make what junior varsity. Where, where are you? Where are the chips going to fall? Where are you going to be? And it's it's just jockeying for competition, right? I think a lot of times, if we're not careful, we'll reduce Jesus to junior varsity and not see his true supremacy. We'll say yes. He died on the cross. Yes, he was buried. Yes, he rose again. All these things. But, but God the Father, now he knows all things. He's in all things. He's, he's omnipresent, all-powerful. If we're not careful, we'll reduce Jesus to junior varsity and the Father as varsity, right? And this is what Paul battles right off the bat. He, he suddenly says, no, 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 no. Let's start off with the framework of Jesus is the image The imprint, the picture, if you want to know who God is, look at Jesus. He is varsity of all varsities. This is who he is. And so he starts this way, and he's crystal clear. He is the exact imprint, the manifest image, and then he continues to spell it out. So he says, Jesus is supreme over eternity past, but he's also supreme over creation. And in doing so, he's going to say that in three ways. Number one, he says this as we continue verse 15. He's the firstborn of all creation. I don't know why I give bias to this screen. He's the firstborn of all creation. Now, the error, if we're not careful, is we'll fall into the trap of what Jehovah's Witnesses say about the firstborn. And what they'll say is, see, he's just a man. He was the first one created. And that's not what this text is talking about at all. 
The firstborn here is not in reference to birth. The firstborn is in reference to who gets all the blessings, who gets the inheritance. That's linear throughout Scripture. As a matter of fact, the nation of Israel is called the firstborn of all nations. That doesn't mean they were the first nation. It means they received all the blessing, all the inheritance rightfully from the Father. It's kind of like Kobe. Kobe is my firstborn. And so he gets all of mine and Julie Beth's inheritance. Lucky him. A 2001 Sequoia. The rights to cut not only partial of the yard, but the whole yard. And he gets all my hand-me-down clothes, which were already handed down by somebody else anyway. So there you go, buddy. He, he gets that right. And so Paul is screaming to us, listen, this is how supreme Jesus is. Not only is he the image of the invisible, he wasn't created. He's the firstborn also. He's the rightful inheritor of all things. Therefore, now when you hear that, maybe this makes a little more sense. He is the alpha and the what? Omega. He's he's the beginning point of all things. He's the firstborn, and he'll also receive all things. In other words, everything on earth is ultimately pointing towards him and his glory. That's how supreme he is. There's nothing more supreme in all creation than Christ the firstborn. Why? He goes on to say this, because he created the universe. As he continues his supremacy over creation, verse 16, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and all things were created for him. So not only is he the firstborn, but he's also the creator. Now, you, if you've studied scripture, you may go, Oh, whoa, back the bus up. Genesis 1 says that God did what? He spoke the world into existence, right? But this is what Paul continues to say, yes. But remember, as the firstborn, as the original, as the exact imprint, as God the Father spoke it into existence, Jesus was the agent of all creation. So God the Father spoke it, and Jesus created it. What? All things. That's how supreme he is. And so he's pointing us to see this, that even though he wasn't created, he's God the Father and Spirit and Son are three distinct yet one, however the Holy Trinity plays itself out. We believe it because Scripture teaches it. But he created the universe and the earth. That's how supreme he is. You ever thought about how vast the universe is? And he created all of it. You ever peered into a telescope? at a star, and then moved over to another star, and then moved over to a planet, and then realized no matter how you keep pointing that telescope, you'll never be able to count all the stars and all the planets. Millions of light years in the universe that our greatest, most powerful telescope still can't reach into. I mean, they're trying to peer into black holes right now because they don't even know what the black hole is. They just know that all kind of stars and stuff are falling into these things, right? Jesus created all of that, Paul says. That's how supreme he is. But not only the universe in this expanse, but even the earth as we know it. Have you ever thought about how vast that is? There are 8.7 million species that have been identified by mankind. And I've, I've brought this up a couple of years in the past, but 
Maybe you've heard of the little fish at the bottom of the ocean that they just discovered, the one that has the little light that dangles off of its head. Y'all have heard of this little fish? I think it's in the movie uh, Dory, actually. Dory? Nemo. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Natalie. Thank you. <laughs> right. it's, it's got the little glowing thing on its head. Right. It's just one that's been identified, and there's millions of more species. And here's the thing, Paul screamed at us. Not only did Jesus create all of those things and the little fish with the light on its head, but he knows them each and every one by name. And not only does he know each and every one of them by name, but he knows the hair on each and every one of their heads. All of them. He's the creator. He's the firstborn. He's all of these things. He's truly the Alpha and the Omega. And he goes on to say this, And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So if being the firstborn and being the creator doesn't give you enough reason to call him supreme, he also sustains all these things. He holds them all together. (laughs) When you think about this, him not only creating and not only sustaining, this should blow your minds once you kind of start breaking it down. I hear this from time to time. Um, Well, you know, the Lord has removed his hand from America. Dear friend, if the Lord removes his hand from America, this whole ball of wax is gone. And I'm not talking about it's just gone to hell in a handbasket. I'm talking about if the Lord Jesus removes his hand, it is imploded, gone kaput. Right? Think about this. Have you ever wondered how many atoms there are in the world? You say, no, Troy, that's really bizarre. And to be quite honest with you, I would have never thought about that either if I had not been studying this text. Right? I looked this up to see if anybody had made an estimate, and lo and behold, uh, according to the Google, the Google, um, and the Department of Energy, the answer is 133 (laughs) That's how many atoms are estimated to be in the world. And here's how supreme Christ is. There's not one rogue molecule in all of creation that he doesn't actively sustain. That's our Lord. Do we have that high a view of who Jesus is? And so once we start thinking about this, all of these atoms are flying around doing whatever, whatever atoms do. Now you really know I didn't never think about this because I don't even know what atoms do, right? All of these things flying around and, and he sustains every one of them. And then Paul gets real specific. He's not only supreme over eternity past, the image of the invisible, and supreme over creation, the firstborn and the creator and the sustainer, but he's also supreme over the church. Verse 18, he goes on to say this, and he's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning. He's the firstborn from the dead. Doesn't mean he's the first one ever raised from the dead. We know that's not true in Scripture. It's the same thing we just talked about before. He is the rightful inheritor and the blessings of all that happens through resurrection. That's what this is getting at. In other words, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, apart from the resurrection of Jesus, our faith is futile because we're still in our sins. Without his resurrection, our resurrecting wouldn't make any sense. This is what he's getting at. He's saying, listen, he's supreme over creation and eternity and he's supreme over your salvation. If you don't see him as supreme, why not? He's all these things. He's the conqueror of sin. Sin had its curse 
because of the fall and the decay, anyone who enters into sin finds itself in death. And that's what the problem that we all find ourselves in. We're cast away from a holy God. As Brian just, wherever Brian is, I'm pointing to him, I don't know where he's at. As Brian just led us to in, in communion. If we're in our sin, we cannot enter into the presence of a holy, righteous God. That's what Revelation says. Nothing impure can ever enter into his presence. That's a big problem. Because, raise your hand, I know it's Father's Day, but we still got to do it anyway. Raise your hand if you are impure. Yeah, that's us. So we have a massive problem. And then Paul says, listen... See the supremacy of Christ that through His resurrection, those who trust in His righteousness can be raised into the Holy of Holies. He's supreme over that. His resurrection brings life. He is supreme over the church. And then Paul just kind of goes into a holy tizzy in his sermon here and just loses his ever-loving mind by just simply saying this as we continue in verse 18, that in everything he might be... Preeminent. Do you see where Paul goes here? The word preeminent simply means he's supreme over all things. Have you ever been saying something and you got so excited that you just started saying the same thing over and over and over? You're like, that's great. It's really great and great and great. Like, you don't know what to say. Paul has wound himself up and he says he's supreme over eternity past. He's supreme over creation. He's the firstborn. He's the creator. He's the sustainer. He's supreme over the church. And now he's, he's just supreme over supreme. He's supreme over supremacy. He's the preeminent one. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And that is the big so what of this text. Maybe you're going, so what? Yes, he's supreme, but... But so what? What does that do for me? Well, well, here's what it does for us. If Christ be supreme, then there is no room in biblical Christianity for a united gathering and acceptance of all religions. Because he is either, say it with me, supreme or he's not supreme. He has to be supreme or not supreme. And the implication of a gathering of all world faiths to come up with a one united faith is that Jesus is among equals. And what is Paul saying about his equality? He's not equal with anyone. He's not equal with anything. He is supreme. He's preeminent above all things. And so this is the big so what in terms of religion. But for us practically it would be this. That living for anyone or anything else, if Christ be supreme, is illogical, irrational, and just plain old nutty. If he's supreme, why would we live for another human being? If he's supreme, why would we live for our kids? If he's supreme, why would we live for a church? Or if he's supreme, why would we live for our coworker? If he's supreme, why would we let anything else have rulership over our life? This is what he's calling us to. He's saying Christ is supreme over all or he's supreme over nothing at all. He's the preeminent one. So this is the big so what. Let's bring it even more practically down. The question is, is he first in your family? Is he, is he first in what you talk about? Is he first in your academics? Is he first in your work? 
Is He first in your resources? Is He first in your eating? Is He first in your pleasure? Is He first in your joy? Is He first in your time? Is He first in your art? Is He first in your confidence? Is He first in your allegiance? Is He first in your music? Is He first in your emotions? Is He first in your love? And I assume if we run around the room, we could come up with 133 bazillion things that He should be first in, couldn't we? This is what Paul is calling us to ask the question. Is He that much of... Supreme in our minds and what Paul's doing is he's working out our puny brains. Mind the chief of puniness. He's working out our puny brains and screaming at us. We need to have a robust, strengthened mind in terms of Christ's greatness. He's supreme. In him we find meaning and purpose. And only in him do we find meaning and purpose. Paul screams. And then finally Paul was settled. And he says, listen, because of these things, because he's supreme over eternity past, because he's supreme over creation, because he's the firstborn, because he's the creator, because he's the sustainer, because he's supreme over the church, because he's supreme over supremacy, he alone can be supreme over reconciliation. He alone is the one who can either present us blameworthy or our blame forgiven before the Father. He says this in verse 20. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. Oh my goodness. In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If you underline your Bible, you got to underline that. He does all these things. Why? To present you holy and blameless before the Father. What love. What great love. If I'm creator... I probably hoard all the glory to myself. If you're creator, you probably hoard all the glory to yourself. The great love of Christ is that he was firstborn and creator and sustainer and he does all of these things so that you would see him as supreme and when you see him as supreme and submit your life to him, then and only then can he present you before the Father holy and blameless. Which means this. He doesn't present you and go, here's Troy, complete nut job. Which he should. Can I get an amen? Amen. And all God's people said amen. He doesn't present you and say, Julie Beth, sinner, this person, this, this person, this, unpack your sin. Which he could do. This is where they fail. 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 He proves himself preeminent and supreme so that those who submit to him, he raises up and says, Here, Father, here is this person. Because they've trusted in the righteousness of Christ, holy and supreme. That alone should be our source of joy. Both now and forevermore. What a God. What a substitution. What a great scandal, which is why it's called the gospel. Shouldn't be called the good news with that in mind, should it? 
It should be called the great news. It should be called the supreme news, the unfathomable news, the, the mind-blowing news, the preeminent news. Reconciliation really is the only joy to the world. And reconciliation is only found in Christ. You ever thought about the words of the song we sing at Christmas? Joy to the world. You ever thought about those words? It's, it's fun. We love to sing that song. It's, it's a fun song. I thought about trying to sing it right now with all of us like we all sing it together. And then I thought, yeah, I better save that for Andrew to do. <laughs> or Britt. Um, but here on the screen, think about this. I, I believe Isaac Newton. Isaac Newton, that is not the right Isaac. <laughs> Isaac Watts, the great hymn writer. I believe he, he had to be thinking about this passage when he wrote Joy to the World. He had to be. Think through the words. Joy to the world. Because the Lord has come. So let earth receive the king, the supreme one. Let every heart prepare him room. Nothing else will have room in your heart. And heaven and nature sing, and heaven and nature sing, and heaven and nature sing, and heaven, 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 nature sing. Like, he just kind of gets lost, almost like Paul did. He's like, he's supreme, he's supreme, he's supreme, he's supreme. He's so supreme that he's supreme over being supreme. Right? And now, sir... Now I'm calling him Sir Isaac Watts. And there's another verse that happens. It's the third verse. We rarely ever sing it. As a matter of fact, we will always sing it at Safe Haven. He says this, So because he's come, no more let sin or sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He, the Supreme One, comes to make His blessings flow as far as the curse is found, as far as the curse is found, as far, as far, as far as the curse is found. That's joy. That He would come into our curse and offer us life. There is no one like our God. And there is no one like the Son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Well, Lord Jesus, all we have done today, as we do every Sunday, is just sat under your text, let it speak to us, and we cannot help but walk away today seeing nothing other than you, Jesus, are supreme. You're supreme. You're, you're supreme over eternity past. You're supreme over creation. You are the firstborn. You are the creator. You are the sustainer. You are the supreme one over the church. You've proven it in the resurrection. You're supreme over all things supreme. And you're supreme over reconciliation. We can't enter into the next life apart from you because you're so you're just supreme and so God today as as we've just proclaimed you supreme it, it really causes us to think through the human condition really that we are grosser than we ever could dream or imagine and we are weaker than we could ever dream or imagine and you are greater than we could ever fathom and that is for our good. 
And so may this text today cause us to bow. To bow to your supremacy. I pray it breaks knees in this room. Lord, where we try to stand up in our own power, I pray that your supremacy today shatters our knees. That it breaks our spines. That it paralyzes us at your goodness and your supremacy. Again, I pray today if there's one in here who, who doesn't want to bow to your supremacy, that, Lord, you will cause that effectually to happen in them because we know one day everyone will bow. And God, it's for their good that they bow today willingly rather than being rejected for all eternity and forced to bow. So, Father... Would you do your work of salvation even now as we're going to sing? And for the believer, oh God, that you would rise up within us a new song in our hearts, a new song in our, on our lips, that today for Father's Day, we wouldn't just celebrate men and, and, and guys here at Safe Haven, um, that we would celebrate the true Father the one who orchestrated before the foundation of the world a redemption through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. So Lord Jesus, again, I just simply pray that we walk away today saying that the text showed us how supreme Christ is over all things and that that would change our lives. And Jesus, it's in your precious name I pray. Amen.